Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for another episode as we hit episode 98 with Chad Hermson from QIC Retail. The hospitality space in the retail environment with inside shopping centers largely has been a really low voice. So I wanted to get Chad on today to really talk about what shopping center landlords are doing for their food vendors to make sure they can survive and keep going and thrive after this crisis. So I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast with him. He's a fantastic character. He's so honest in his feedback. So uh, I think you're really going to enjoy it. Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. Great to have you listening along. The shopping center market has been largely not talked about in regards with food vendors during this crisis of COVID. So it's been really important that we focused on that. And during this time of crisis, uh, one of the most important gentlemen that I've met during this time is our next guest. Chad Herbson is the, Q- is the portfolio GM for Retail QIC. Now QIC is one of the biggest shopping center owners in Australia, uh, taking over some shopping centers like Water Gardens, Hyperdome, Rabina Town Center, Eastland, and Claremont Quarter, all the way in Perth. Chad. Thanks so much for being on the show. Pleasure. Thank you. Now, um, we've got to know each other really well uh, the last couple of months, which has been uh, a blessing through our good friend, Andrew Danson. And I want to talk about how you started out in your career um, into, into leasing and, and how you came to work with QIC. Uh, where do I start? Um, I probably had a, uh, an unorthodox entry, I think, into leasing. Um, it's funny because my father was always in leasing and I think it was one of the things I just was never interested, never <laughs> took it up. But um, look, I started out in retail. Um, my first job was at Woolies um, back in South Australia um, whilst I was at school and, and I actually had five years working there or um, just under five years. Um, but that's probably where I, I guess my career of, and I probably would sit here and say it, I wouldn't be able to look at the way I do with business today if I hadn't had that sort of grounding. Mm-hmm. So I... Um, yeah, worked with Woolies for five years, um, worked my way up into management after school, did a couple of years of management roles there. And um, from there, I, I probably learned to love sales and the idea of sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had, um, as a manager, we would have sales reps from Coca-Cola, from you know Kleenex, from Cadbury, Schweppes, the whole bundle would come through and you'd be sold to every day. And I think... Um, you know, it looked like the probably the most fun job I'd ever seen. I mean, you're, just, you're cruising into shopping centres and uh, yeah. you're literally just selling great products. So mm. <clears throat> for me, um, you know, I quickly realised that that's something I wanted to do. And uh, I was lucky a couple of years into, you know, my role, management role, that I got sort of tapped on the shoulder and uh, was able to come and work for Coca-Cola. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> I spent... Uh, three, three of probably the best years at Coke, um, working mainly in the shopping centre, um, supermarket side of their business with independents yeah. and, uh, and nationals. Um, but I did, uh, I did about a year in their commercial and leisure side, which was uh, working in the Adelaide CBD, doing nightclubs, pubs, bars, cafes, restaurants, mm-hmm. um, food courts, and um, really got a great. Uh, visibility of, of the food and beverage sector, um, you know, in the in the heart of it, really. I mean, it was um, 
it was a, a steep learning curve, but um, probably one of the most fun jobs I've had because you were literally never in an office. Your office was your car. Yes. Uh, you know, every day you were meeting and greeting people from, you know, the 20 year old, um, you know, manager at a, at a subway to, you know, the, the 60 year old, you know, Italian cafe owner who'd been running his business for, you know, 20 odd years making, yeah. making coffee. It was just such a varied um, role, but, you know, it was exciting. It, it was enjoyable. And, um, and I learned a lot, <clears throat> you know, the different people you meet, um, not just, um, you know, at, at different levels, but just the different, um, I guess, cultural backgrounds that you would meet of people. And um, that's probably where I started to really appreciate coffee when you're sitting down with someone in a cafe in North Adelaide and, uh, Absolutely. you know, they make you a beautiful coffee and uh, you're going to go to the next cafe and you can't say no. So <laughs> <laughs> from having maybe, I'd be lucky to have one coffee a day in my early 20s to, um, you know, as soon as I joined that job, I was literally by the age of sort of 22, I was addicted to uh, to coffee and, um, you know, it was two or three a day because you just couldn't say no. But yeah, um, yeah. yeah, it was those little things that you appreciate. But um, that was great grounding. Um, <clears throat> from there, I, um, I actually went into to media. So I, I did uh, 18 months with Triple M in radio sales. So selling advertising. So um, that was a really big jump for me. Um, probably a, you know, a challenge. Um, I was quite young at the time. I was about uh, 24, 25. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it was, it, it's probably the hardest sales role. I think, uh, you know, a lot of credit for people that do that. It's, it's, it really is cold calling. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of strategy behind it. You've got to, um, you know, a lot that you've got to be able to get through just to be able to get in the door, let alone then pitch for them to start selling on, uh, on radio. So mm -hmm. particularly in Adelaide, which, generally independents and smaller operators. Mm -hmm. um, from there, I did uh, a couple of years in banking and finance after that. I, uh, and again, this is through the networks. You sort of, I, yeah. I remember through some friends through my days at, at Coke, I'd met someone that was head of business development for uh, a particular bank. And then I was able to join them, um, you know, after a, a number of times that we would catch up and sort of joke about it, eventually it just became an option and something I explored. Yeah. Uh, so I did two years in, in the banking and finance game, but um, I'd already realised by my mid-20s that I wanted to head overseas. So um, for me, the big leap probably took place when I was working for <clears throat> Bank West at the time and uh, I wanted to go to the UK. I think that was what every Australian did. You, you know, The UK was kind of the place that any Aussie who wanted overseas experience went to. And um, it was probably fortunate that um, Halifax Bank of Scotland uh, sold to CBA. So that sort of window that I could leverage the opportunity to cut across was gone. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when I started to look at other areas that I wanted to go to. And um, not sure exactly why, but Dubai had that um, unknown about it. Um, mm -hmm. I, I knew of one or two people that had gone there and um, and I'd certainly heard a little bit of it, but, but not a great deal. So um, it just so happened one night I'd made the decision um, the very next day, I, I rang one our wife and uh, I just said to her, look, book a one-way ticket. Once it's done, I'll resign. And I did. And uh, six weeks later, we were on a plane in Dubai and uh, looking for work. So I didn't actually have a job, which is probably um, a little bit of a uh, something I, I think my parents were, weren't too happy yeah, about. Um, and um, particularly when the GFC hit, that was yeah. in 2007. So... 
Look, I, I ended up getting a job in, in the banking and finance game over there and um, it's not what I wanted. So as soon as I had it, I, I figured I had my safety net. It took me a couple of months, but um, I remember ringing a, a, um, a recruiter and giving her the task of, all right, I've got, a, I've got a job, but if you want to make some money, go and find me the best, most exciting role you can. I said, I want something that's in business development. Here's my background and these are the things that I enjoy. And um, it ended up being that I got an interview with the, um, at the time it was the largest shop, or still is I should say, the largest shopping centre group in the Middle East, the Jid Alpha Tay, MAF group. Um, and I was interviewed by the, the head of one part of their business um, for um, a marketing manager's role, which I just, you know, I thought, what do I know about marketing? I've done a sales role, but I'm not a marketer. And um, he pretty much saw through me within the first five minutes and uh, we had a bit of a laugh, but um, I was fortunate that he uh, he liked me enough and decided to create a role. So wow. I ended up becoming um, the head of business development for their leisure and entertainment arm, which was basically a, a part of the MAF Ventures arm, which owned and operated. It was about 20 magic planets, which is like time zone we have in Australia. Yeah. Um, or strike, holy moly, it's, it's a little bit like that, probably a little bit younger, very family orientated. Mm -hmm. um, and they were all around the Middle East from Egypt to Kuwait, Bahrain, Oman, um, you know, Dubai. Uh, but they also had Ski Dubai. Um, and over the course of my time there, we developed a number of different concepts from indoor skydiving to soccer centres. Um, and my role there was effectively to head up any anything from uh, I guess any business development initiatives, uh, work on joint ventures. Um, and so it was just one of the most exciting roles I'd had. And probably about a year into it, um, they said, look, we want you to head up leasing. And I'll probably be honest, it was one of the most hesitant roles because I'm like, I oh, know my dad did that, but yeah. it's not really what I, <laughs> you know, yeah, not what I really wanted to do. Because um, I just thought it was so, you know, it was so regimented. It was leasing a shop and that was it. Um, yeah. I probably didn't understand the, I guess, what goes into the strategy, what goes into the planning. And um, that's probably where it kicked off my career. So um, uh, I went from, you know, not leasing shops to suddenly heading up a team leasing shops and, um, you know, went into the hot burning pot and uh, learned pretty quickly the good, bad and indifferent because this is when the GFC had hit and, uh, you know, we had, you know, tenants that were paying, you know, rent and percentage rent to um, tenants that were falling over that were, you know, killing it one year and, and the very next year they were sort of underwater. So, um, you know, I guess when we're in this pandemic now, it's, it's interesting that I've seen, um, you know, in Dubai, something very similar, probably in my first year in, in a leasing, you know, capacity. But um, look, it was phenomenal. Uh, spent three years over in Dubai working on leisure assets, um, you know, primarily focused on, you know, anything that was quite fun. Uh, Ski Dubai was an exciting product. Um, you know, we had we had operated our own businesses in there from cafes uh, to restaurants, but also sublet, um, you know, some sites. Um, you know, it was probably one of the most exciting and versatile roles that I've had, just in terms of the, uh, the ability to sort of go from one end to doing joint ventures with, yeah, um, yeah. you know, certain partners to starting new businesses to working with Emirates Airlines and a whole range of other things. So, um yeah, so I did three years over there and then um, my wife and I, um, my wife were pregnant with our first and um, that was the time for us to probably pull the parachute and go, right, let's let's head home. Um, and I was lucky to come back to uh, Adelaide and uh, I started working for Vicinity back at the time. Yep. I had, um, you know, a great six and a half 
years with them. Um, moved to Melbourne pretty quickly within sort of the first 12, 18 months. And uh, then I was able to work on the Emporium project, um, you know, during my time in Melbourne, mm-hmm. went to the Chadson development, um, you know, did that development before I actually went and worked for um, uh, the Alta family and the Pacific group of companies and did the Werribee development yep. um, and some other smaller developments with them um, before QIC purchased 50% share in, in Epping and Werribee and um, lo and behold QIC um, fortunately tapped me on the shoulder and uh, I, I with some of my team was able to come on over so um, you know here we are today in a very similar capacity and role to what we had but uh, yeah that's that's a really quick snapshot of how I got into um, you know in, into leasing. Um, but I, I've got to be honest. I think the groundwork of working in such different industries and the the need to adapt um, with you know various roles from you know Coke to to Woolies and just understanding the basics of business and, and running business or working with operators of business has probably given me, I guess, the best foundation and grounding. Um, that I could ask for, um, yes, yes. You know, in, inadvertently and, and not intentionally that there was ever a, a straight line to leasing. Um, you know, I, I don't think I would have, uh, you know, achieved or been able to do what I've done if I didn't have that that foundation. Um, so, you know, I'm quite lucky in that respect. Do you feel, because I'm from Adelaide as well, Chad, like do yeah. you feel you're lucky to work for big organisations in a small town this sort of gave me this balance of promoting or selling uh, a really great and knowledgeable product, but still having to have the ability to sell or form relationships in all environment. Because because a place like Adelaide is so small that if you if you don't sell well, you don't sell properly, you don't form really great relationships from the start, then you're likely to never you know, potentially have that relationship again do you do you think back on that time and and feel fortunate for that particular journey the answer is um is yes i, I probably didn't you know I, I guess it hasn't been put to me in that context but um i think selling to you know and, and i use the word carefully but you know to mum and dad operators or, or or small to medium businesses um where dollars are spent a lot more carefully and um you know there's obviously less of a, a spend available when it's um, you know, sometimes in that sense, it can be a more difficult sell. Is certainly, um, you know, the challenge. Um, and so, look, yeah, inadvertently, it's probably given me great grounding. I think um, the fact that I was able to have the opportunities that I have in, in, in the diversification of industries um, and being able to move, and whether it's because it's a small market and you can network a little bit quicker, um, you know, in a place like Adelaide to others where industries probably cross over compared to, you know, when you're in an industry in Melbourne, you know, it's 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 a big enough industry that networking in that industry alone is so large that you're unlikely to need to diversify. So, um, yeah, look, it's probably a good way of, of looking at it. Obviously, QIC is a, you know, a massive, a massive landlord throughout Australia. You support um, a lot of different businesses. I think I think one of the narratives during this time, chat is that, you know, the landlord, you know, should be doing everything they possibly can to to you know to try and help their different retailers and 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 that kind of stuff and and with the realization that landlords have bills too they've got people they need to pay as well they've got debt that they have but how how has QIC sort of tried to help you know their food vendors and their retailers during this time yeah it's um 
Look, it's, it's obviously, it's not a, a simple question to answer, um, mm-hmm. but the reality is, um, I think, you know, the, the best example I can probably give is early on, we, we opened up a development on the 26th of March, which, you know, probably is a precursor to, it was the most unknown time. And I don't think anyone, if you'd predicted back then where we were going to be at, mm-hmm. um, and that was the marketplace development down at um, Water Garden. So fortunately for us, um, you know, everything still went ahead in, in the sense of the development still opened and, and, and most of our retailers were able to open in some capacity. But, you know, I think at that point in time, you know, the way that we were able to deal and handle with the fluid situation, which was changing on a daily basis back then, was quite, um, you know, credit to the team and to the retailers that we had there was, you know, just the open dialogue. So, you know, for me, um, it starts with transparency and, and, and dialogue. And I think if you're not having those two things, you know, you, you're on the back foot already. Um, and it doesn't matter the size of the tenant, the landlord or otherwise, you, you, you've just got to have that because of the fact that um, I guess there's so much that, that both parties can work together on to, to be able to achieve, um, you know, great things. And look, in Water Gardens, we went from having a big marketing um you know, plan to to having no marketing whatsoever because you know mm. back then it was, you know, we were down to restrictions of people and it was it was quite a difficult thing to actually estimate whether you could even open. Um, yeah. And we had you know barricades, we had police there, security guards. You know, we we had hand sanitizer. Everyone was given hand sanitizer as they walked down the line. So it was such a a unique thing. And I remember as we opened the doors because of the restrictions, um, my team and I had to, um, had to exit the building. Now, the one thing as a, as a leasing person or in retail that you want to be, you want to feel people, you want to, um, you want to feel the energy of a, of a new development with, um, which is just made up of people coming in and experiencing it and, um, you know, purchasing products or, you know, whatever it may be, you know, having the services. So I think that was probably the, the biggest eye-opener at such an early stage was, you know, this is before we, we even knew what sort of shutdowns would be would be happening and for how long. So, um, you know, for us, that was certainly a big challenge. And I think, um, I guess, how, how we then, from that point on, how we've helped people look, uh, you know, I'm quite proud to say, you know, QIC was one of the first to, you know, actually send out letters to tenants, you know, saying, look, we're going to defer your rent. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what yeah. the government's going to say. We'll be in contact um, and, you know, we, we, we got on the front foot and, you know, this is before any, any of the COVID um, legislation or, 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 you know, assistance packages that came out, came through that we, we jumped on the front foot and um, we were able to support retailers probably more with comfort, not necessarily with any agreement because no one knew mm. back then. Um, I think the other things that we've done, you know, we've really had to work with them on their challenges. Um, you know, the challenges that we have, we, we can address what we can, but, when you look at each category and, and, you know, when we look at food and beverage, for example, there's such a discrepancy between the various types of sectors within food. Um, yes. You know, you've got your, you've got those that sit in dining precincts. You've got those that are just takeaway businesses. You've got those that are retail businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and within those categories, you've got some that have, um, you know, bums on seats is how they survive. So, mm-hmm. you know, for them, it's about people sitting down because their product's not made for, you know, takeaway or, or they don't have a, an omni channel where they can do cl- click and collect or whatever it may be or Uber Eats. And I think we've really had to pivot our business and our team to meeting with them more regularly, trying to 
make sure they're aware of the opportunities that are available. Um, you know, an example would be that we have, you know, attempted to get um, and, and achieved in some cases preferential deals for tenants with um, Uber Eats or, or Menulog. Um, mm -hmm. So that you know, as they grow and where they're going to be impacted because of margins now shifting with you know, the margins required uh, or the tight margins on that, if any at all, in some cases that they've got that ability that you know we try to support them in that that area. I think um, naturally the legislation with the um, the code of conduct has been a huge piece. Um, yes. And look, I'm I'm quite you know again you know proud to say that you know we've worked with retailers, not just SMEs, but but nationals on, on assistance packages. Um, and, and I say that, you know, using that as the foundation, um, and whilst it may not suit all, the, the reality is it's it, it, each business has its own challenges. Um, you know, I think we've been able to work with most of our retailers and, and you know, come to a, an agreement to, you know, to assist them. Um, you know, th th there's a lot of other things that we've done. You know, internally, we've had to focus on um, just our own costs, um, naturally, there's been an increase in cleaning, but you know, really, as a business, the costs that we can control with outgoings, um, you know, we, we've done a lot of work in that space in reducing that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, which which naturally gets passed on, um, you know, at a point in time to to the retailers. So, and and to date, we've been quite successful in you know that closure period um, and even the you know the reopening periods and and the sort of in betweens, we've been able to manage that quite well. So QICs probably like a lot of landlords had to really focus inwardly. And I think also develop some longer term strategies, which will be beneficial for everyone, um, you know, down the track as we start to look at, you know, what are the ways that we can move forward with some of these cost saving exercises. So they're not just a blimp in the road or, a, you know, um, an opportunity at a point in time. So, you know, I think that's certainly a big piece. Um, you know, there's been reduced trading hours. Um, you know, if I think about it, there's been, a number of other avenues, free parking, where we've had charge parking previously, um, just trying to create an easier way for people to come to the centres, um, yes. you know, trying to also make sure that we're helping our retailers. I think um, that omni part of the business with click and collect, um, you know, there's been a lot of work done by our team, which, um, you know, it's not the silver bullet or anything like that, but we, we've, we've developed a click and collect, um, you know, there's about, 10 of our centres which we've implemented a click and collect where people can order. Um, they can then nominate a spot where they can come to the car park and we, we personally arrange for it to be dropped off. Um, mm -hmm. you know, Eastland had something similar like that with its concierge service, which has now been increased um, to facilitate a lot more retailers. And we've actually been quite lucky that a number of retailers, food, non-food, um, apparel, um, you know, et cetera, have really jumped on board with it. Um, and again, it's it's something that we're trying to work through. How do we how do we get better at these things? Because, you know, I guess the the opportunity you get with a scenario such as this in COVID is you get the the opportunity to implement things and, and almost fast forward some of your programs that you were thinking about. Um, you know, if I look at retailers and particularly online, it's probably fast forwarded that part of the business. Um, you know, quite a lot, and I think it's probably fast forwarded five to ten years. Um, you know, in some cases where <clears throat> the the idea of purchasing online with some people maybe is is now possible, whereby they probably never did it previously. So I think um, it's certainly a um, it, it's been a, a, a challenging time for everybody. Um, mm -hmm. 
but you know, like everything, I think every business has had to shift and adapt and, and pivot towards different areas to, um, you know, to give themselves the best opportunity and, and to also set what might be the new norm, uh, you know, moving forward. Over the last 10 or 20 years, there's obviously been a shift in what shopping centres have as a tenancy mix. Um, you know, probably when I started out in my career in the late 90s, the tenancy mix of food was a lot less in the bigger shopping centres. And as time has gone on and as shopping centres have got um, bigger and done more options, food has become more part of the tenancy mix, as has things like entertainment and leisure and, and those kind of things, as I think shopping centres have become, you know, the town centre um, for people in, you know, that local community. Do you think with the pressure that's arguably going to be on, you know, not just not just food, but but things like retail um, and a change in this omni-channel of people going into store or people sitting down in food venues, do you think it's going to change the tenancy mix um, in the short to medium term, Chad? Uh, look, the answer is I, I don't think so. Um, I think the tenancy mix, if we look at it from a retail perspective as it sits today, will, will largely continue to evolve and improve as it, as it always have. And I think, you know, if we look at food and beverage, it's continued to evolve. You know, go back 10 years ago, it's very different now, uh, you know, to what it was if you look at what goes into a food court or mm. what goes into a development um, from a dining perspective. Um, and, and I think that continual improvement will, will just continue to evolve and probably at a quicker pace which will be the challenge for, for landlords, uh, you know, probably when we look at terms and retailers. So that return on investment for both parties is probably going to always be challenged. Um, and so maybe it's changing the terms of, um, you know, some of the length of tenure as opposed to maybe the um, what's already been happening, which is the evolution, um, you know, of that food food offer. I think in terms of the, the change in tenancy mix, though, I, I think there's certainly going to be a contraction within a number of yes, sectors. Yes. And I don't doubt that, you know, the improvement of some retailers, unfortunately, will see the demise of those that maybe don't adapt or, or, or aren't able to pivot their business in the way, you know, forward. And we've probably seen that well and truly before COVID hit. There's been a number of administrations yes, and, um, you know, I guess change in the industry. So I guess in, if I look at, you know, my opinion in terms of where it's going, though, landlords have been pivoting and talking about, a lot of this and some of them taking great steps forward um, and QIC is probably no different in the fact that we are looking at mixed use and I guess that that idea of a micro city you know taking Melbourne as an instance where unlike say Sydney which has got a number of satellite cities with Parramatta um, and, and areas such as that or, or even Castle Towers which is one of our centres I think you know Melbourne has probably a great opportunity to continue that um, you know Eastland which is one of ours we, we have um, just before COVID hit and we, we've now started is there's 20,000 square metres of office space that we're adding on to the asset or on the outskirts, which, um, you know, is, is now leased, um, you know, pre-starting pre of those um, construction, which, you know, for us is about creating that livability and that, you know, working environment outside the cities. Um, you know, QIC has also been fantastic in, in having assets that are located nearby major transport hubs. So, you know, if you use the example of water gardens with the train station right next to it, Eastland, um, you know, with both um, freeways and train stations next door. So I think 
that idea of those satellite cities and being able to grow those footprints in those areas is probably key. Um, and it's certainly something that as a, as a group and as a company, we'll continue to focus on the core being our retail. And that includes obviously all of our, um, you know, tenancy mix within there from food and beverage entertainment, but also at looking at creating these satellite cities, um, you know, in the scheme of things. You know, when we talk about changing to tenancy mix, I think it's interesting with, um, you know, the reopening stages in Victoria in particular um, and what we've seen in, in the course of the US with what they've done. And I think New York's a, a really good example where I think um, the latest stats I saw was 10,000 cafes and restaurants are actually now operating with um, licensed seating on the streets or on the, the roads or whatever it may be. And and yet they've been able to manage their cases, which were as high as 10,000 a day down to, you know, maintaining them at a thousand a day, which is still not great, but, but certainly it's not actually seen with the outdoor um, section now becoming quite a, um, a large part that they've not had that um, issue of, you know, further and greater restrictions um, because of, you know, increased cases. And I think that's probably going to be the, the challenge for us as we move forward to this next phase, which is that reopening. Um, you know, we, we've already implemented a team, um, you know, internally, which I sit on, which is to try and work on what are the best ways, particularly from a Victorian perspective of how we manage, uh, I guess, that, that street expansion. Um, and we're looking at asset by asset. But, you know, if you think about it previously, I think it was, you know, 1.1 to, to call it, you know, 1.5 metre checking. I think we're now in a position where obviously there's a, um, there's a four square metre rule which is obviously now um, something that's a bit of an issue um, of how do we deal with that moving forward. So that's certainly one of the big challenges that, you know, we're focusing on and, and I guess we're mindful with retailers, how that impacts, you know, uh, various, particularly food and beverage, which is going to be the hardest hit as well as entertainment. So, you know, there's quite a lot of work that's going to have to be done, you know, in that space, I think, to achieve um, hopefully, you know, the new norm for a period before, you know, things are able to come back. Chad, obviously you look after um, uh, a bigger team, um, obviously in a number of different states. Like are you seeing differences in how customers are shopping in those particular states in comparison to how obviously Melbourne is in, in lockdown at the moment? Yeah, it's, um, it's quite um, unusual if you look at it. I think, um, you know, Western Australia, I look after um, Claremont and, uh, you know, Western Australia and even being here in Adelaide at the moment, um, when you look out the window, it seems to be things are back to almost normality. Um, I, I won't say things are back to normal. I think that'll take a little while, but there's certainly, um, you know, traffic numbers through, you know, our centre at Claremont. Um, the number of retailers open is pretty much back to, um, you know, full strength, which, you know, I think is in part credit to, you know, the way that it's been handled by, um, you know, the government and, and how they've, been able to hold the strategy together, but but certainly um, the positive side of it is that we've actually really seen strong uptake for people to want to come back out. And I think we saw that early in, in Victoria, New South Wales, and every state in that, that early period in May when people were able to come back out and the sentiment improved. Um, and, you know, the revenue that, that came back out, which was quite interesting during that period, was um, a lot higher than the prior month in some cases for, for some retailers, which... Um, you know, it was really positive to see that people actually were coming back out, spending and, and in many cases also spending, you know, spending was up compared to the same time last year. Um, things have obviously plateaued and each state is experiencing its own 
variants to to depending on the sentiment. Um, you know, I think New South Wales, we, we've certainly seen things drop off a little bit. Queensland certainly on a in a better position, um, given the fact that, again, numbers and restrictions are certainly easing regularly. Um, but certainly WA seems to be, again, and this is in my, you know, limited experience, I haven't been able to get over there myself, but certainly from the numbers that we're seeing, you know, it's been really positive, um, which is great from a, you know, a retailer's perspective. Um, it's fantastic from a, you know, from, I guess, both parties, because it does show that there's normality. And I think, you know, many of the concerns or, things that were um, you know stated which was you know will, will the numbers come back or will people come back into um, centres is probably being curtailed by the fact that we're now sitting here with a um, you know with some strong uptake mm -hmm. and uh, and certainly some consistency now um, you know over time there's, there's certainly going to be changes though there's no doubt that you know we expect there to be some changes we think some um, you know there's going to be changes to the way that industries run certainly online platforms click and collect um, and that merger of the two with the omni-channel of, of some retail businesses, both food and beverage, um, retail, apparel, whatever it may be, will certainly evolve greater. And I think that's that's going to be a good thing, you know, for all parties concerned, because it just it just means that retailers are now more savvy. Um, but it also means that um, you've seen a lot of, um, you know, retailers just adapt their business and become, you know, better and more efficient, um, probably in some cases more lean. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's a lot of a lot of learnings you've got out from the other states outside of Victoria that you're going to use to re-energise the Victorian market um, when we do get to you know to reopen in October sort of November? Yes and no. I think the reality is I think a lot of our plans are, are, are you know are quite confident that um, you know depending on the centre. Um, it's going to have to be different. Um, mm. you know, each centre has its own challenges and opportunities. Um, and, and I think a lot of this is about adapting, you know, what you can do at the centre-based level. Um, you know, and if I use what the Vic government's done with, there's some grants available for retailers to purchase, um, you know, whatever they may need, whether it's umbrella seating or otherwise, mm. um, that's been provided, which I was reading about last week in the Premier's launch. So I think... Each state has its own opportunities and, and obviously making sure that, you know, we're working with, um, I guess, our, our, our retailers to ensure that they're fully aware of those opportunities um, okay. is number one, but then also looking at what the opportunities are. So, um, look, we've started working on that to see what, what can we do from an asset level. Um, and it will really depend. There are some assets where we've got the ability for people to extend seating. There are others that you know, we need to have a look at where else can we provide them if there's, you know, no opportunity for that. And I think that's the that's the piece of the puzzle which makes it challenging, mm. but also really gets people involved and gets retailers engaged because, you know, it's it's to our benefit and, and you know, our partners to make sure that, you know, we're able to open in the best and, and the safest way forward. Um, and obviously that's really going to be critical is just making sure that we're adhering to you know, what the requirements are, but also just making sure that we're giving them the best opportunity that they can. Mm -hmm. um, and the great thing is, I think, you know, a lot of this also, you know, with the retailers that we're working with, a lot of it is based on having, you know, we've got some of the best retailers, some of the best foodies um, in the business in our centres. Mm -hmm. So, you know, not for a second do I suggest that, you know, the answers rest with us. Many of the operators that we've got, um, uh, 
you know, phenomenal businesses that, that have been able to pivot and, and we'll work with them, you know, as best we can and, you know, within the lines that, you know, we're, we're able to, you know, both from safety and restrictions to, you know, what each of the centres can do. So, you know, I think there's a lot of work to be done. Um, I, I think a lot of it is going to be um, about, you know, also just promoting for people to come back into the assets, which our marketing teams have been actively working on, you know, various ways that we can promote, you know, even if it's down to promoting click and collect um, or, you know, contactless pickup for food. Um, there's a whole range of, you know, ways that we're, we're trying to make sure that we, we offer every opportunity for, you know, people to feel safe to come back to the assets. Um, you know, the, 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 we've got the appropriate safety measures in place from cleaning, um, social distancing, but, you know, we're also for those that might be even further concerned that we're, we're ensuring that, you know, if it is click and, click and collect or, or contactless collect that we're able to work with our partners to do that. So, um, that works ongoing as we speak, um, and it's certainly it's not a small exercise. It's it, it's a big exercise, but you know the great thing is we've been able to quickly um, work with a number of different um, operators to actually engage and um, and complete those. Um, I guess that new way of um, of retailing and that new way of serving in many cases. Chad, two more questions before I let you go. Um, your you're obviously looking after you know a big team of people and a lot of leasing agents who are who are hearing you know some good stories and some bad stories from their tenants and working through very challenging times. Um, you know, you you do that with, from what I can see, like utmost respect and care for your team. Like, how are you making sure that you know you're doing that as a positive leader on a on a day to day basis and and hearing them, but making sure that you're keeping. So, look, short answer um, on that is look, I'm like everyone and, and I think, um, you know, you have your good and your bad days. It's been um, pretty challenging, I think, particularly with three young kids to try and explain, you know, what's happening in the world that they can't mm. see their friends or they can't go to school and they're not playing their sport. And, and look, I think the great thing that it's probably taught me and, and you know, I'm really pleased to say, you know, my kids have been, you know, phenomenal through this in terms of, what they're doing but you know it's probably that resilience piece i think we spoke about this recently is um and i went and saw the resilience project years ago and um decided to read the book again which um was probably the perfect timing to do that mm. in the middle of what's probably been a challenging time um you know not having seen you know my team or, or even you know those my peers and and you know my management team for you know physically for what's going to be probably a year by the time we get to it um has been a a really strange period um, yeah, and I think yeah. the idea of Zoom and I've even had to recruit a number of people over this period which what's interesting is a, a lot of interviews via um, you know virtual interviews so yes. you know that, that's something certainly new so look I think having resilience and um, you know focusing on things that are, I guess important to you family time and, and those things have been really probably a, a key take out I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed having time with my kids that I wouldn't normally have and, and having the ability to just um, not be as, as busy, you know, at night or, you know, that you normally would be. Um, it's certainly been busier, but I think just those little moments during the day when you're able to actually see people. But um, look, I found, you know, reading, uh, you know, a book like The Resilience Project has been really helpful for me just to remind me of the, the small things which, um, you know, are all about just being grateful 
you know, um, I mean, I'm grateful that I work for a great company, um, you know, that I've got a job and, and, you know, I fully appreciate that there are those, you know, experiencing it really hard out there. Um, and it's certainly not an easy time for a lot of people, which, you know, is the, I guess is the piece when, when you do come into negotiations, when you are dealing with people that, you know, you've got to understand that there's, there's people's lives, livelihoods, um, you know, at the end of this and, um, and the mental health piece is a really big and important part, which yeah. um, I, I wish probably more was spoken about. Um, yeah. you know, YC has been fantastic in, you know, promoting the Are You OK Day and, and a lot of diversity within our business. Um, you know, I think there's a number of businesses which obviously, you know, do that as well. And I certainly know that that's, that's probably been and will continue to be the biggest challenge post-COVID is just stabilising people's, um, you know, own personal mental health, which, you know, for me, I think, you know, I'm not saying there's a magic answer to it, but I certainly think about being there and, and, and being um, just understanding and mindful that, that, you know, there are greater things in life than, than what we do on a day to day. And, and sometimes they're just the most simple things, which um, has been a really good reminder for me and probably um, helped me through a, a 14 day quarantine in, inside a hotel room with three kids. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, a good way to understand that, you know, there are, there are lots of other people with, with more difficult challenges out there. But, um, yeah, look, it's, it's been challenging, um, you know, with my team managing remotely. It's been a, a difficult thing, um, which, you know, I certainly, um, you know, I'm grateful for the, for the team that I've got and, and how they've handled themselves. And, um, yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of people that will be stronger when they come out of this. My last question to you, Chad, like what as I'm asking everyone as the last question at the moment, what are you, um, what are you looking forward to that you can't do, you can't do now, but you were doing pre-COVID that you're looking forward to after the epidemic and getting back to it? Uh, look, I, I like to, um, I'm a sporty person. I love playing basketball and, and that's probably one of the, the small joys, which I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to get back out there with friends and play a couple of social games a week. I mean, I think it's those little things that you don't get to do anymore. Um, and just that, you know, that contact time with friends, it, it just keeps you, uh, you know, not just fit, but, you know, it just gives you that, that break from the day to day. So that's certainly one of the things that I'm looking forward to. And, and probably the big thing for me and the reason why we're in Adelaide is, is just family. Um, I think, uh, both my wife and I have all of our family in Adelaide and, uh, we, you know, even living overseas in Dubai when we did, it's interesting that, you know, we probably felt more further away um, being locked up during this time. So um, yeah. the fact that we're able to now spend some time with, um, you know, family and we've, we've, you know, got some family over here that, um, you know, we'd like to spend some more time with. So, you know, I think that's going to be the, the one piece that um, certainly as I come out of this um, will be, uh, will be fantastic just to, um, you know, catch up with mum, dad and, you know, grandparents and particularly for the kids to, um, you know, to catch up with their cousins and, uh, and all of those, um, I guess those things that you don't get to do when you're in a, when a, in a lockdown. So um, yeah, touch wood, um, all goes to plan. Beautiful. Um, what's the best way that people can uh, talk to you, Chad? I think today's been a really great conversation. I'm sure there's lots of people who want to connect with you after listening to this podcast. Um, look, I'm quite easy. Um, LinkedIn's always a good way to, to connect to someone. Um, but certainly, um, you know, if, if there's anyone that wants to have a chat or, or, or you know, any questions, welcome to um, pick up the phone or the email. Um, it's c.hoobson at qic.com. 
um, you're welcome to send anything through. And yeah, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it, Chad. Thanks so much. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Open Pantry Podcast. As always, it's so fantastic to have you listening. So thank you so much. Make sure that you subscribe. Make sure that you write me a comment and let me know what you think. And make sure you share it as well. Like if you think this is a fantastic podcast that people need to know about, I'd really love you to share it. Thanks so much. Well, they've got lovely grounds, there's more space around it, but everything they'd done was was just so perfect for them. You know, they had some of the screens were just built out of plant pots that they had, <laughs> and it was just completely on brand for the, for them. Cool. Um, and just it felt like a very considered experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you if you aren't going to go down that route of using reclaimed windows or or anything else to go in and you're just going for simpler materials you can still be more sustainable even if you choose acrylic you can get i think there's a material called green cast which is a 100 percent recycled acrylic as opposed to a virgin acrylic well that's yes. a better choice to begin with yes even if you use you know vinyl vinyl signage stickers everywhere telling everyone to you know wash their hands and everything and stand here don't stand there you can get pvc free recyclable vinyl as opposed to kind of basic vinyl so, yeah. so there are ways i mean i think that vinyl is like 30 percent more expensive um certainly in the uk mm-hmm. but i mean how much does a vinyl sticker cost it's not yeah. huge bucks. um so so there, so there are certainly ways to do it if someone just again takes a bit of time to think about it or engages a designer that um you know can help them do that mm-hmm. um so but yeah it is a concern i think as we're seeing you know the, the piles of face masks washing up on the beaches around the world there's going to be a lot of of acrylic <laughs> that, that is yeah. uh on the scrap heap after this you know maybe that's in the circular economy the idea there is no waste maybe that is then just a huge resource for someone if someone can collect all that up is there something interesting that can be done with it um but i'm kind of interested in the idea with with those the kind of the covid19 measures that can you design them in a way where they become something else afterwards yes. you know is it planted with a screen that then becomes part of a seating arrangement afterwards or mm-hmm. are there are there different ways of doing it um, yeah in some cases not but I, I just think it's interesting to ask those questions um, yeah because sometimes there is <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean that's the whole nature of creativity isn't it it's just trying to see around corners so sometimes there's something that isn't obvious that can that can do something special and then because you've done something special your customers will go oh look they really tried i bet yes. their coffee's good 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent um uh, David, my last question before I let you go, what I've been asking a lot of my guests of recent times is yes. what, what's the one thing that you were doing before COVID happened that you can't do it at the moment that you're really looking forward to getting back to? Um, I would say, um, yeah, it's got to be the, the big dinner out with lots of friends, isn't it? I mean, yeah. over here, two households internally at the moment are allowed out. Right. Um, I took my my fiance for her 40th birthday and we managed to find a space a kind of garden space in a posh hotel in london so it was outside so we could have sort of three households but i wanted to do a bigger thing but kind of couldn't i mean it was lovely in the end but um yeah that that feels like a a restraint and that is you know the core of being human isn't it is that that socializing yeah. freely <laughs> the freedom yes. of 
So I've got back to some of the everyday, the coffee here and there, um, you know, going to restaurants and seeing what they're doing. But yeah, the, the, the freedom to socialize on, on mass with, with kind of friends around the table. That's mm-hmm. definitely the. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, David, today's been a really good chat. I've really learned a lot and I, I do appreciate your time. I, I look forward no to more conversations. Um, yeah, happy to what, share. What's, what's the best way that people can find out about um, OSP and everything you're doing in the UK? Um, well, I guess company-wise, yeah, we've got objectspaceplace.com. Um, the blog on there is is quite active, so we're, we're putting stuff up there, a lot of articles around designing for sustainability. Um, also, some some concepts we came up with during lockdown for designing restaurants around COVID-19. So we came up with entire restaurant concepts, one called Alone Together and one called Antisocial, oh, um, which, are, which were kind of designed to sort of inspire people and, and take the whole negativity around social distancing and say, no, no, let's do something cool with it. So the ones are fine dining restaurant um, based where um, the whole social distancing becomes this positive idea of privacy. Um, mm-hmm. So it's the luxury of privacy. And then antisocial is a kind of coffee shop where, you know, in a city center, you, you weren't going to talk to anyone anyway. So it's fine. We can just make that quite cool. Um, so <laughs> to check those out, amongst other things, um, or LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn a lot, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, just, just David Chenery, uh, just, just find me on there. Happy to Beautiful. connect. Um, and as always um, linked up in the show notes so David thanks so much for your time I do appreciate it All right, thanks Sean thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Open Pantry Podcast I really really appreciate you listening and spending some time with me again as always if you can subscribe if you can leave a review I will be eternally grateful so thank you so much it's really really simple to do no matter what app you're actually using to listen to this podcast. Always, you can uh, leave me a little voice note as well. You'll see that in the show notes of this podcast. And lastly, thank you again to our new sponsor, Mercury Neuro, the leaders in coffee machine making all the way here in Melbourne. Uh, Jordan and team are doing a fantastic job. So make sure you check out all their kit at mercuryneuro.com.au. Until next time, stay safe. Thank you.